page 15 in the Pew Bibles. It's Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. So page 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I am childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. Abraham, and Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Our second reading is on page 1169, Galatians chapter 3. Verses 1 to 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you, ex have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the, the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thanks, Peter. Um, do keep your Bibles open uh, on page 1169. And uh, let me just pray. Father God, as we come to this passage, we just pray that you will help us understand it better. May we be challenged and encouraged 
uh, as we read these verses together. Amen. Well, in my, um, my day job, I uh, work a firm called BDO, and BDO was traditionally a Jewish firm. So I work with a lot of uh, Jewish partners. And uh, I just wonder how they would read Galatians chapter 3. It's on page 1169, if you've you closed it up. We have some quite lively discussions sometimes in, in, in the business. And I can just imagine them coming to this. And I don't think they'd read it as we do, you foolish Galatians. I think they'd be going, you foolish Galatians! You're idiots! You're fools! What's the matter with you? Something I hear quite often, this is important! It would be, I think, a slightly livelier rendition than um, we perhaps give it. This is important, he's saying. Who's bewitched you? Literally, who's put the evil eye on you? It's interesting, if you go to this area now, you go to Turkey, you'll still see that little evil eye. It's still a sort of symbol you'll see all over the Mediterranean, won't you? Well, what is it that Paul is so worked up about? What's he so cross about? Because I think he is, he is cross. Well, Paul has visited this area, uh, Galatia, probably just a, a few months earlier. He's been to a couple of cities, um, uh, Lystra and Derby are two that are mentioned. Uh, that's all that's left of Lystra, uh, that mound. It's uh, not there anymore. But that's where he was. Um, and he preached the gospel in these places. And last week, or week before last, Tim was looking at this, and he told us, he summarised Paul's message. He said, if you look back at chapter 2 uh, and verse 15, Paul says, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That was Paul's big message that he wanted the Galatians to hang on to. And in fact, Paul really got killed giving them that message. So he was probably pretty miffed that they then decided to change it, to walk away from it. They had decided that eternal life didn't really depend just on accepting Jesus and having faith in him. And Paul is asking them, in fact he's yelling at them, why? Why have you walked away from that message? Now we know why, actually. There's a, there's a, there's a reason given to us in Galatians, and that is uh, other Jews to come along. I mean, Christianity at this stage is still very much uh, within the Jewish community. Uh, and other Jews had come along and said, you can be Christian, but actually, you know, if you kind of, kind of come along to the synagogue and do this sort of stuff, you actually need to sign up to the Jewish law. So if you're a Gentile, you need to kind of convert to be a Jew as well. And effectively what that meant was that the Galatians were rejecting the gospel. They were saying, no, 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 it's not about faith in Jesus anymore. It's not a free gift. We've got to do something a little bit extra. And I suppose the question is, that was bugging me, is why would you do that? I have to be honest, if Phil came up and said to me, actually, Don, you need to be circumcised now, I think I might say, I'm going to pass on that. Why, why would they do this? Well, we get a few clues, actually, from Galatians itself. 
Um, and I think some we can, we can work out for ourselves. Firstly, I guess it was just too simple. It's just too easy, isn't it? I just accept the free gift of, of Jesus. There's not much to that, not much brain power involved. I guess we all know people who actually rather consider Christianity intellectually beneath them. It's, they're just too clever for it. Or maybe they didn't want to be the odd one out. If you were a Jew, if you'd, if you'd become a Christian in Galatia, suddenly you weren't doing the things other people were doing. Everybody else was going down to the temple and burning the incense and offering the sacrifice and all that stuff. Suddenly you weren't. You were suddenly odd. You were suddenly a bit weird. And actually in those days, if you officially signed up as a Jew, you got certain privileges. You didn't have to do military service and stuff like that. So actually, by not doing that, you were missing out. You were giving up some things that you might otherwise have had. Now, I think that could well apply to folk in this room, folk listening, folk, folk we meet, couldn't it? Christianity is too simple for me. It's beneath me. I'm cleverer than that. Uh, maybe I'm a bit afraid of being the odd one out, a little bit stupid at school or whatever. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm going to miss out on something by being a Christian. Maybe you're just a bit wobbly tonight. Maybe you sort of kind of believe, but maybe you're just wobbling a little bit. Well, Paul is speaking to all of those folk. He's saying, let's get clear here. Let's get really focused on what the gospel is all about. And let me tell you uh, the key messages of it. Now, Paul's going to make the message time after time. Um, Verse 11 is where he first hits it or where he summarizes it. He lifts a quote, really, from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And there he says, the righteous will live by faith. There's that message coming out. It's going to keep coming out this evening. It's so important. The righteous live by faith. And he hammers that home. Just have a look at some of the other verses. Verse 5, he says, faith comes by hearing. Verse 9, he says, those who have faith are blessed. And then verse 14, again, by faith we receive the promise. You should be getting the message by now. If we follow Jesus, it's in faith. Now, I'm not very good at sport. I can't even hit a golf ball straight. Uh, Totally uncoordinated. So I was very lucky at school that I was offered all sorts of alternative activities. Um, And the one that I thought would take least effort was rock climbing. (laughs) So that's what I took up. Um, This is me last summer. (laughs) Judith's just around the other side. Now, the sad thing I learned about rock climbing is that it did involve effort. It was a great disappointment. Uh, But I also had to learn some things. And one of the things that was drummed into us was when you're climbing, you always have three points of contact. Okay, so hand, hand, foot. Not going to do four. It's always three points of contact, or two feet and a hand, before you move on. Make sure you're secure, three points of contact, and then you can move on. And Paul's going to give us three points of contact, three handholds in this reading, in this passage that we're going to look at um, tonight. And that's what we're going to work through. We're going to look at those three handholds for people who are feeling a bit shaky to sort of kind of reassure us about God and what he's done for us. 
So here we go. We're going to move on to the first one. Anybody know what that is? What you're looking at is the Brexit effect. That's the FTSE uh, 100 index for January. Uh, not January, for June. Okay, that's the, that's the quoted shares of the top 100 companies. Uh, that's it tracking quite happily along until it gets to the 23rd of June. And then there's that seismic cliff edge drop, isn't it, as the stock market absolutely crashed. Now, why did it do that? It did it because businesses like certainty. They like to be able to plan. They need to know there is a plan. And the big cry now is, has Theresa May got a plan? We want to, should, we want to be sure there is a plan. I think Eddie Jones probably had a plan before everybody toddled down the M4 to Cardiff. There was plenty of sort of stuff going on in advance that suggested he had a plan of exactly what was going to happen. I was listening to local radio yesterday. Um, lots of plans going on about what Brighton are going to do next season in the Premiership, which may be a little optimistic, I don't know, but there we are. Plans, plans, plans. Well, Galatians gives us God's unchanging plan. It's our first um, handhold, if you like. Paul says emphatically, God doesn't change his plan. The free gift of Jesus is not a change of plan. He's always had one plan for us, and that's been his plan all through history, to give his life freely, to give life freely to those who trust him. And he's backing that up with an argument from the Old Testament. He's talking to Jewish folk who know the Old Testament, and he starts his argument in verse 6. So just look at that. That's where he says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's the passage Peter read out to us earlier, just to prove that he wasn't making it up. And so here, Paul is saying, look, Abraham, he may be a big figure in the Jewish religion, he may be the founder of the Jewish nation, but actually what made him special? And Paul is causing quite a stir because he's saying, it's not that he's the founder of the Jewish nation. What was special about Abraham was that verse Peter read out to us. He trusted God. That is what made Abraham righteous. And that made him father, not of the Jewish nation, but of each one of us that follows Jesus. And Paul says you've got to work out a bit more from that, because what that really means is all the law, the, the Jewish law, all that stuff, can't be important. That came along hundreds of years afterwards. What was important was simply that God, that Abraham trusted God. So Galatians, don't worry about all this religious law stuff. Don't worry about working your way to heaven by trying to meet the demands of the law because you can't do it. And it's the same message for us now. I went on a, an Islamic website to see what they said about how you get to heaven. It may be a dodgy Islamic website, I don't know, I'm not an expert, but it certainly said, do this, do that, do some other things, and if you're lucky, the supreme omnipotent one might smile on you with favour as you reach the gates of paradise. That was your sort of odds on, you might be lucky. And that's what... That line of thinking is kind of what they, uh, Paul is challenging here. He said, if you try to follow the law, you won't get anywhere. However hard you try, you won't be able 
to fulfill it and you won't be perfect in God's eyes. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Well, why is that? Why can't we do it? Well, look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Everything. Not a bit. Absolutely everything. It means pleasing God in everything we do and everything we think and everything we say. And we're incapable of that. I don't know about you, if you have uh, chats with your friends, perhaps at school, at college, at work or whatever about this, um, it'll very often end up with a comment like, well, I don't know, I'm pretty good, I think I'll take my chances if I have to meet God. Anybody else heard that? It's a pretty sort of common sort of phrase, I'll take my chance. It's a pretty lousy strategy, isn't it? God's standard is 100% perfection. You can't afford just to take your chances. So, God's plan has always been to give life to all those who trust him completely. But he needed a perfect man to deal with the problem of our sin. He needed someone who did please God in everything he did and thought and said. And that naturally takes us to a second handhold. Getting scarier, these pictures, I have to say, but there we are. Uh, So this is in verse 1. Just look at verse 1. Paul says, Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed to you as crucified. It's quite a strange word, clearly portrayed, portrayal. What does that mean? Well, what's that? Come on, someone under the age of 30 will reckon. Rogue One. Thank you, Carl, who said that? There we are. Uh, that's the teaser advert for Rogue One. Uh, it was all over Gatwick. It was probably all over town. I saw it at Gatwick. Huge advert. Uh, but it was just a teaser for Rogue One. It didn't tell you anything that was really going on. It was just a, uh, a picture telling you something was coming. But it didn't tell you everything properly. Paul says, I portrayed Christ crucified very clearly to you. It wasn't like this teaser advert. I showed it very clearly and I explained exactly what Jesus did. And we have a pretty good idea of what, Jesus, uh, what Paul told them because, of course, it's written in the Gospels. Luke's Gospel was Paul's, Luke was Paul's friend. So we guess what Paul said is what Luke wrote down. Um, we've got three other accounts. And then Paul tells us what he preached too. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. Uh, it's probably the earliest account of the gospel actually Paul says for what I received I pass on to you as of first importance again it's important that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures according to the scriptures means that was God's plan that was what was set out in the earlier scriptures but Paul goes further he he answers the question well why did Jesus die And you have to go to verse 13. Verse 13, Paul quotes the Old Testament again. And it says, rather, it's rather gruesome this bit, isn't it? If you want to show that someone is cursed, then you're going to hang their body on a tree. A bit like having a gibbet, a sign that someone was a criminal. If you want to show someone was cursed, says the Old Testament, hang their body on a tree. And that's the proof, says Paul. 
Remember what it said in verse 10 about uh, anybody was cursed if they broke any of the laws? Well, says Paul, there's Jesus. Cursed? You want to show someone's cursed? You hang their body on a tree. That's what they did to Jesus. And yet Jesus, we know if you read the Gospels, was perfect, the perfect son of God. So the results of our failures are dealt with when God sees Jesus nailed to the cross. Well, those Rogue One posters have gone now, sadly, but rather good. Um, but I can still tell you about the film if you want to chat afterwards. wasn't that good, but we can talk about it. So what verse 2 says. Verse 2 says, faith comes through hearing. You can hear about Rogue One. It's not going to help you very much. What is going to help you is hearing the gospel. That means if you're not a Christian, well, talk to a Christian friend or read the gospel. That's what they're there for. That's why they're written down. You've got a choice of four. They'll all do the job. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John will tell you. They'll portray Christ crucified. By the way, if you are a Christian here, it's a little reminder that uh, we need to be ready to tell people, don't we? Like Paul, can we clearly portray Christ crucified? Good challenge. Anyway, there we are. That's our second handhold. Jesus died for us, clearly portrayed uh, in the Gospels. And all we need to do is trust in what Jesus did for us. There we are, third handholder. Handhold. Don't know whether that's more secure or not, but there we are. Um, verse 2. Just have a look at verse 2. Paul says, or Paul asks, Did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law or by believing what you heard? Now, by now, I guess you've worked out the answer. Uh, clearly, it's by believing in what we've heard. You don't do anything to own the Holy Spirit. When we become a Christian, when we accept Jesus, then that very moment, his Holy Spirit moves in and begins to change us. And that, says Paul, is a free gift. can't earn it. You can't work up the Holy Spirit. You can't sit in a room with candles and incense and all those funny things and brew up the Holy Spirit. When we put our faith in Jesus, Spirit moves in. Galatians actually has a huge amount to say about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a real spirit-filled letter. I think every chapter talks about the Spirit. Um, we'll come on, obviously, later chapter 5, which talks a lot about the fruit of the Spirit. But what is clear in this passage, which is quite interesting, is Paul's, really, assertion. that He challenges the Galatians and says, look at your lives and remember what the Spirit has been doing in them. And actually, if you look at the experience of the Galatians, it's a little bit mixed. So verse 4, look at that, that would kind of experience that they'd had a bit of a hard time, that they'd gone through some sort of um, persecution perhaps. And then verse 5 goes the other way, suggests some, some experience of miracles. If you were to, don't do it now, but if you dipped into Acts 14, you get the account of Paul's visit to the region. Uh, and actually what you see is exactly this. So Paul goes there, and one of the things he does is heal a lame man. The Spirit gives him the power to heal a lame man. And it's, and it's, and it's a great miracle. 
But at the other end of the story, when it all goes wrong, as I said before, they stone him, they beat him up, they drag him out, and they dump him outside the walls. Which, when you actually begin to think about it, doesn't sound very nice at all. Being left for dead outside the city walls. But Paul, in the power of the Spirit, gets through that, gets up, and goes back into the city. So you can see in this reference and in Acts, the Spirit working in very different ways in the lives lives of believers. And I suggested one of the questions in small groups if you get together this week is perhaps to reflect on that ourselves. How has the Spirit been working in our own lives over the course of this week? Um, To get the brain going on that, I thought I would just read a a short excerpt um, it's a book we had recommended, I think, from the front a while ago, Kevin DeYoung's book, The Hole in Our Holiness. And he's um, talking about how the Spirit can help us be more holy. Let me just read you this bit. He says, This brings us to the practical question, how does the Spirit work in us to make us holy? says, one of the ways is to strengthen us with power in our inner being, he quotes Ephesians. He says, the work of the Spirit is often connected with power. This power can manifest itself in signs and wonders, in spiritual gifts to edify the body, and in the ability to bear spiritual fruit. The same Spirit who was present at creation and caused you to be born again is at work to empower your inner person that is, your will or your heart, so that you might resist sins you couldn't resist before and do the good things which would otherwise be impossible. The Holy Spirit strengthens us with supernatural power. There we are. Perhaps just a a few thoughts to um, get the old brain going as you uh, go into that discussion and as you reflect on your own lives. But Paul's point is very simple. He says, you've received God's supernatural spirit. He's at work in your lives. And you received him simply because, the glasses off, simply because you believe and trust in the Lord Jesus. As the hymn says, you became a new creation the hour you first believed. And it was by faith, not by anything you did. So there we are. We're all roped on safely with a big helmet on. That's probably much more like I would look uh, on on the rock face, to be fair. So we've got the three handholds. God's unchanging plan, Christ crucified, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me end with a story of someone who absolutely got this, I think. Um, We're coming up to a big anniversary for Martin Luther. But the church goes through renewal, I think, quite often when people reconnect and they understand that we rely just on Jesus and the free gift that he offers to us. Um, And someone who did get that many years ago was a bloke who lived here. Um, That's Assisi. Uh, And in the 12th, 12th century, there was a great reformation in the church went on for hundreds of years of renewal. And Francis, um, lived in Assisi, Francis of Assisi, uh, he was working in the family business. Uh, The family were quite wealthy, 
They had a, uh, a big merchant trading business. Uh, Francis had been to fight in the, um, and they had a mercenary troop. He'd been fighting there. And now he was working in Assisi and he was running the family business. Uh, and the idea was to uh, obviously make lots of money. And Francis became a Christian. He was born again. And that began to change the way he lived and worked as the spirit worked in him. So what he began to do was at the end of the day, instead of taking the profits and putting them in the family bank, he started giving them away. Now, imagine what would happen if the FTSE 100 started doing that. What would happen to that share price? You'd see the same Brexit effect. Uh, and that's what sort of began to happen to the, the Francis of Assisi family business. Uh, it began to get into trouble. And his parents, his father in particular, wasn't happy and said, we're going to stop this. You're going to stop behaving like this. You're going to do as you, you're told. You owe everything to me. It's my business. Francis wouldn't do it. So in the end, they took him to court to make him behave. Uh, and Francis, I don't know whether he read Galatians 3, but he certainly got it, understood it. Because when he was being told how he had to behave and what he owed to his father and what he should be doing, he took the rather unusual step, and I don't recommend you ever do this in front, if you're in front of Helen Scott as magistrate, but what uh, Francis did was he took off all his clothes, stood there completely naked, and said, naked, I follow the naked Christ. For those of you who wanted in Latin, nudus nudum sequi Christum, which is apparently what he said. But naked, I follow the naked Christ. He was saying very visually, wasn't he, what the Galatians needed to hear. There is nothing that he could bring to Christ but himself. And there was nothing he needed but Jesus Christ. Well, as he walked out, it was a chilly day, someone threw him a coat. And uh, that was the beginning of the Franciscan order and so many other things. We're going to have a prayer of his uh, later on. But naked we follow the naked Christ. It's a very strong image, isn't it? And it's what Paul wanted uh, the folk from Galatia to remember. But of course, that was the state of play for the Galatians. They were falling. The only thing we can offer God is ourselves. And all we need is Christ, freely given by God. That's his unchangeable plan. And we have his spirit in us every day, helping us and reminding us of that. And that was true for Abraham thousands of years ago. It was true for the Galatians. It was true for Francis. And the great news is it's still true for us today. Let me just end with a prayer. It's, um, it's a prayer of St. Francis, so it seemed a suitable one just to end with. Father God, thank you for the great news of the gospel. And most high and glorious God, enlighten the darkness of our minds. Give us a right faith, a firm hope, and perfect love, so, though that, so that we may always and in all things act according to your holy will. Amen.